0: Our scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6-8. through 8. Paul writes this, For this reason I remind you, to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me as his prisoner, but join with me, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all as we are gathered together here in worship this morning. As you know, we're currently in the middle of a sermon series on a word that for so long uh, the church has avoided, or if we haven't avoided it, we just really haven't said it a lot. And that's the word evangelism. The belief that we have to grow in our faith and we have to grow the kingdom of God and we have to do so and we have to participate in that by making new Christians, by helping new Christians become disciples and then by equipping and sending each other to go out and to make the invite, to invite others to be a part of the relationship that we're part of, to invite them to come to church and to allow them to be in a presence of God to where God can work in their hearts in ways that you and I are unable to do on our own because it's God himself. And so for the kingdom of God to to grow and for the church to grow, the kingdom the the word of God has to be proclaimed. And part of that means that you and I have to make invitations to invite people to be a part of what we're doing, to invite people to be a part of the mission that we share in, and to be a part of discovering the community that or the community as well as the freedom that we find as we experience God's grace and as we experience God's forgiveness and as we experience God's working in our lives. During this sermon series, we've, uh, we're looking at four different uh, subjects or areas around this. And so what we have done is we've clearly defined the gospel. We've talked about how we have to embrace the gospel as good news. We've talked about how we have to embrace Christ's call as Christians to share the gospel. And then next week, we're going to talk about how we have to receive the power to effectively proclaim the gospel to others. And so in the first week of this series, we looked at some things that I think are really important. We talked about what it meant for us to clearly define the gospel. And so for us to do that, we looked in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. If you'll remember, the Corinthian church was experiencing a lot of turmoil. They're experiencing a lot of of other teachers who are coming to them with messages that are leading them astray, that are causing them to worship other things or other people. And so Paul is writing to this church. And he's writing them to remind them of the truth of what he taught them and what they believed in. And so he writes that the gospel, the essential of the gospels are this. Is that Jesus died for our sins. That Jesus died for the sins of all people, not just for those who love him, as we read in other portions of of Paul's writings, but that Jesus died for all people, even those who crucified him. And so the Bible teaches us, Romans tells us, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means that all of us need grace, all of us need repentance, and that God has done that for each of us before we even recognized it or noticed it for ourselves. And then God gives us an opportunity to respond, to respond to the death of Jesus, to respond to the life that he offers us, to respond to the grace that he has given us and the forgiveness that he has extended to each of you. We also know that scriptures are accurate. The gospel tells us of the good news of Jesus Christ and it tells us of the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church. These are eyewitness accounts of people that are sharing with us their experience in the way that Jesus has ministered and taught and was resurrected in everything else about his life, as well as giving us eyewitness accounts of what they have seen and of what they have heard in the New Testament church. That means that we can't take away from what the New Testament tells us about Jesus Christ or about the workings of the church, nor can we add to it. All we can do is accept it or reject it. Also, we have to talk about that Jesus Christ was truly dead. All four Gospels, if you look, tell us that Jesus died in their different ways, but it's all the same. That Jesus was on the cross, and then depending on the Gospel, when He died, His his side was pierced or it wasn't. All the Gospels tell us that His body was taken down, that He was wrapped and prepared for burial. They all tell us that He was laid in a tomb that had been newly cut by Joseph of Arimathea. And they tell us that He was dead. And so the earliest Christians, when we read their account of the death of Jesus, they are telling us what they saw, what they experienced, what they witnessed for themselves. And then finally, the resurrection of Jesus is true. You know, Jesus wasn't placed in a state of suspense when he was laid in the tomb. One of the greatest controversies in the early church were people who were saying that that Jesus did not truly die, but that he was just put on hold or something. I don't even know how that works. I guess he had a pause button on him. And so they laid him in the tomb, they pressed pause, and then they got him out later. And that's not how it works. That's not what the gospel tells us, is it? It tells us that Jesus was fully dead, that he was wrapped, his body was prepared, and he laid in the tomb for three days, which it also tells us then that he was truly resurrected. And finally, friends, we have to remember that there were witnesses to the resurrection. We know that because you can read their names in any of the gospels. You can go and read who they remember, who those gosp- that gospel writer uh, determined and the Holy Spirit led him to name those individuals by name. And the differences in the gospels, I'm going to say, do not detract from the resurrection of Jesus. I don't think they take away that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't all list the exact same group of people because what they're sharing with us are each of these individuals' experiences with the resurrected Christ. So, whether it's Mary Magdalene, as you read, or Salome, or Mary, mother of Jesus, or Peter and John, whatever it is, folks, they're all eyewitness accounts. And they tell us, and they tell us that they heard Jesus' voice. They saw him. They ate with him. They heard him call out to them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, inviting them to come and eat breakfast with him. It's because of the witnesses that you and I are able to know what we know about Jesus, and we are able to experience and encounter the grace of God ourselves, isn't it? Last week we looked at the simple truth that the gospel is good news. Now I'm going to tell you something, this is my idea, but I don't think the gospel would have survived 2,000 years if it wasn't good news and if it wasn't of God, do you? Think about all of the other things that you read about in history of this world, different faiths, different religions, different movements that if it, they're, they're not inspired by God. And so, so they, they rose up and they had their high spot and then they went down and now we're just reading about them in history books. I believe the gospel is good news because God's hand is upon it. And God's hand is in it as you and I read these words and as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to what the scriptures say to us. I mean, look in the book of Acts chapter 5. In Acts 5, the New Testament church has been preaching and healing in Jerusalem. Great numbers of people are are seeking out Peter and James and John and Andrew and Stephen and Philip and all of these other names that you can read about. Each of them are coming. People are coming to hear a message of hope and forgiveness. They're wanting to see this healing and they're wanting to experience resurrection. And for the first apostles, their message was effective. Because if you go and read Acts chapter 5, it tells us how the Sanhedrin went and had these men arrested when they were teaching in the temple courtyards. They're placed in jail overnight. The angel of the Lord frees them and tells God tells them, go back and get to work. And so the next morning, the Sanhedrin sent their, their uh, guards to go to the jail and they find that the jail cells are empty. And then they go to the temple courts and they find that the, these men have gotten out of jail and the next morning they're right back where they were the day before. So the Sanhedrin gathers and they have the disciples brought before them. And there's a discussion over what they do with them. Do they kill them? Do they punish them? Do they just allow them to go on their way? And so the Sanhedrin are having this debate of what are they going to do with the message of Jesus. And as they argue and as they discuss, a revered rabbi named Gamaliel stood up and spoke. Gamaliel, if you'll read, is the same rabbi that the Apostle Paul studied under and wrote about in his letters. So he was like the man to study under in Paul's time, in Jesus' time. And so Gamaliel stood and he points out that when previous individuals have come and have claimed to be the Messiah and have spread a message and have gathered followers, when they died, their message died. And so Gamaliel's not saying, let's kill these men so that the message will die, what he said said, instead is he says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or their activity is of human origin, it it will fail. But if it's from God, you're not going to be able to stop it. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Friends, that's how I believe that the gospel is correct. Because I think Gamaliel saw it, didn't he? He saw that if it was of God, that it didn't matter what they did to to resist this message. And if you look, and the the history books are full of Christian history and world history, where as the gospel of Jesus has continued to be spread, even as it has received opposition, and even as it has received people pushing back. Because the gospel offers us more than just a go-to-heaven card. It offers us an opportunity for invitation. It offers us an opportunity to have a life of purpose in relationship with God. The gospel offers us more than just the knowledge of where we're going to go. Because see, the gospel offers you life. And it's a life that's more full. It's a life that is more free than anything that you can imagine on your own. Anything that you could create on your own because a life in jesus is a life that's reborn in the holy spirit and because of our baptism and the bible tells us that whenever faithful people witness to their faith the holy spirit works and the power of god is at work in luke 10 verse 2 jesus talked about what we are to be doing when he said the harvest is plentiful the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his fields friends the harvest is ready And the thing is, is Jesus offers us more than we ever can imagine. He offers us life eternal. He offers us community and relationship that's unlike community and relationship with anyone else. He offers you power that comes from the greatest power that will ever be seen or known ever. And he also offers us peace. In a peace that is unmatched by anything else. And so this morning we're looking at what it means for us to embrace this call, to share the gospel. Any of the New Testament letters uh, give us evidence of how the early church embraced the call by Jesus to share the gospel. In our letter today, look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. So Paul's writing from prison. And Paula, I think it's helpful for us to differentiate this imprisonment to his other imprisonment in Rome. Because there are two different times that he was imprisoned in Rome. And the first time, uh, Paul is held under house arrest. So this allowed his friends to come and visit him. It allowed Christians to bring care packages to him. It allowed them to bring him letters and to take letters and to listen to his teachings. They had free access to come and go and all Paul had to do was stay there in that house. His second imprisonment is the one that he's writing from today. This imprisonment was a little different. It was in the Mamertine prison, which you can still visit in Rome today. It was two levels, and the lower level was a below-ground basement that the imprisoned were lowered through a hole in the floor, and they were lowered down, and then they were chained to the wall. And so you can imagine, it was about as dungeon as you all can imagine from different movies and other things that we've seen. And so in Mamertine, Paul is not allowed the opportunity to have the visitors that he had before. He's not allowed to have people come and bring him food and everything else and supplies that he needs. He's truly imprisoned. And so for people to hear messages from him, they would have had to just, you know, shout through the hole in the floor and listen to him. And so it's in these conditions that we read Paul's letter today to Timothy. Timothy, we know, was a young man who followed Paul. Uh, He was Greek, and so he wasn't raised in the Jewish faith, but, but he converted to Christianity as did his mother. And so Timothy has has gone with Paul, and he's now in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the center of Christianity in what is now modern-day Turkey. And so in Ephesus, there were all sorts of challenges happening to the faith. And so Timothy's experiencing the same challenges that Paul has experienced in other places in Ephesus. He has surely heard of Paul's imprisonment, so Paul is writing to him to encourage him and to help him to see that he needs to keep spreading the gospel, even as the church is being persecuted under Nero, the Roman emperor. And as we see in his letters, Paul remains rooted in the foundations of faith, which is the belief that Jesus Christ is the one who brings us life, he's the one who brings us a true, a right, and a real relationship with God, and he's the one that brings us the resurrection. Friend, Paul is writing to a community that is no different in the first culture that it is to us today. I mean, think about it. In, in the Ephesian church, Timothy was facing challenges of, of people worshiping Artemis of the Ephesians. And you know, in, in the time that, that Paul was in Ephesus, there was this great uprising because so many people were converting to Christianity that they were no longer going to the temple of Artemis and buying the little uh, figurines or idols to place on their altars in their homes. And so the silversmiths you know, had a great uprising when Paul was in Ephesus timothy's experiencing the same thing we experience the same thing there are different idols there are different false gods that demand to be worshiped we may live in a different culture from them but the challenges are the same for timothy it was artemis of the ephesians for us those false gods have different names the ephesian church suffers from other teachers who come after paul and teach a different message they were teaching that, that there was secret knowledge. They were teaching that, that there are simply things that, that people had to discover for themselves, and that, that's not what the gospel said. Because they were also teaching messages that said, it didn't matter how you came to Jesus, uh, you could get to heaven anyway, even if it wasn't from Jesus himself. And so they were overlooking where John 14, 6, Jesus says, all who come to the Father come through me. They were looking the, overlooking the other ways that, that Jesus had, had offered relationship and hope And so Paul knew the importance of what it meant for us to be a witness. That even in the roughest times, we have to be a witness for Jesus. And God has called you, he has commissioned you, he has equipped you to do everything. And that God has promised, and this is the best part, that he will bless and multiply anything that we do in his name. So let's see what Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, fan into the flame the gift I am giving you. God's given us a message. He's given you hope. He's given you everything you need with the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are still some things that we have to do. We have to fan into flame the gift that Jesus has given us. That means that we have to actually pursue the Holy Spirit and we have to pray that it will burn within us so that we can act. God doesn't get saved for us. God doesn't attend church for us. God doesn't read the Bible for us. God doesn't tithe for us. God is not generous for us. God can't serve for us. He can't pray for us. He can't invite others for us. God can't do all those things. Those are things that we have to do. And God has said he is going to bless us and multiply us whenever we do them. So friends, for us to be a follower of Jesus, we have to be a follower in belief and in word and in deed. God does all of these things for us. And we have to be present and we have to be active and we have to participate in and invest in our faith together as we make the invite for others to join us that's our job that's our call to use the gifts that god has given us in his name and to fan into flame the holy spirit and the gifts that he's given us then paul writes for god did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear depending on your translation but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline friends you hear that god's given you everything He didn't give you a spirit of timidity or fear. He gives you power. He gives you love. He gives you self-discipline. We're fortunate to not be experiencing the same persecution that the first church experienced. Uh, Nero was imprisoning Christians. They were being burned at the stake. They were being executed. They were being imprisoned. People were having to go underground for their faith. We may experience resistance to Christianity, but ours is nothing like what the first church experienced. And so when it comes to our faith, we have to pray for and we have to receive the boldness that comes from being in Christ. And we have to pursue the Holy Spirit. And we have to recognize that being timid is not of God. That being fearful is not of God. That the things that keep us from doing what the Bible clearly tells us to do and Jesus instructs us to do, well, those aren't of God either. All the things we have to do are the things that we read about in the scriptures of making the invite of conquering fear and timidity of pursuing our faith of pursuing the scriptures of living boldly for jesus see paul tells you you can be confident in your faith because the holy spirit has equipped and enabled you and god himself has given you power and god has given you love and god has given you self-control We have power because God has given it to us through Jesus. We have to claim it for ourselves, though. We have to ask Him how He wants us to use it. We have to ask that that we be filled with the same Holy Spirit that the disciples were filled with. We have to claim that, that same gift that they were given. And we have to use it. You know, Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he recognized that when he was pursuing the faith, when he was pursuing the mission, and when he was being equipped by God, he could do anything and everything. Because he wasn't depending on himself, but he was depending on Jesus. Folks, we also have the love of God given to us. And that means sharing the love of God with others. If John 1, um, in 1 John 4, 20... It says, if we love God but hate people, we are liars and we deceive ourselves. You know, John, you need to go read all of 1 John. Well, we've read it, but it's a pretty um, direct book. If we love God but hate people, we're deceiving ourselves. We can love others without approving of everything they do. We could love them without accepting everything. We can love others by having the humility to say that we are sinners and we need grace and we need forgiveness and we need Jesus. Why else did Paul write to the Romans that of all have sinned? Why did he write that Christ died for all sin, all of us, while we were yet sinners? Because that proves God's love for us. And so for us to love, we have to accept the love that God has given us and we have to share that love with other people. And finally, Paul tells Timothy that we have self-discipline. When it comes to our faith, we have to come to a plan and we have to stick to it. And that means worshiping, that means engaging in scripture study. You know, you can read as many commentaries or other people's opinions about the Bible. And that's great, but you have to be reading the Bible too, because God speaks to you in ways that he doesn't speak to others. And we can use the words that others have received by God and written about God or have written about the scriptures, but we have to be in God's word ourselves to know what it really says. We also have to pray. We have to make the commitment to serve and to give and to make the invitation. We have to do all of these things because those are the things that Christ has called us to do. Paul writes, do not be ashamed to testify about our our Lord or ashamed of me of his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So Paul's saying to Timothy, I'm in prison and don't be embarrassed of that because I'm here because of my faith. Because I'm here of my willingness to share the faith and my willingness to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for us to be a witness, it may cost us something, but it won't cost us our lives. None of us in the church today are likely to lose our lives for our faith in the way that the first Christians were doing it. But we must be witnesses if we're believers. We have to set aside our reluctance and our timidity and our willingness to be a little bit uncomfortable to invite others to the greatest relationship that you can ever have in your life. It's a relationship with Jesus, it's a forgiveness of sins, it's experiencing purpose and receiving purpose that's beyond yourself, and it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't not invite others to know Jesus because it's crucial for our faith, and it's crucial to give them the opportunity. To discover the love that God has for each of them. The love that he has shown them before they ever recognized it and before their eyes were ever opened to it. Because God will bless whatever we do in his name. But you know, we have to give him something to bless. We can't not do and ask God's blessing to bless our not doing because there's nothing to bless. But we can do. We can make the invite. We can provide him an opportunity to work. And we can claim the opportunity that we have to bless others with the word of Jesus so that God can work in their lives and work in their hearts. And so friends, this morning, I want to invite you to prepare yourself now as we prepare to share in Holy Communion, as we experience the gift of love that God offers to us through his son Jesus, through his sharing with the disciples of the Last Supper, and then through his offering of himself on the cross.